We're going to be, uh, over the next uh, three weeks, looking at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11, uh, and, and we'll be going to the, the end of that chapter here in just a few moments. But Matthew chapter 11, once we get to the passage we're going to talk about, I'm sure it's uh, verses that you have heard before, and yet when we stop and think about the verses, uh, there's some of those verses that we can just fly over, agree with, but when we stop and think about seems to become, a maybe not in your mind, but in my mind, it, it, it got a little confusing when I thought about it. Uh, so we're going to take a look at it, and if you're not confused by it, then just bear with me while I work my way through it. How about that? But uh, Matthew chapter 11, it's, it's an unusual chapter. In fact, I would say that if it wasn't Jesus being the person holding all the conversation... Uh, you might say of the person speaking, wow, wonder what side of bed they got up on this morning. <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a little, uh, you know, right there in the middle, Jesus just kind of goes off in chapter 11. It, we find the chapter, it opens with uh, John's disciples coming to Jesus. And uh, this is where John the Baptist has sent them saying, you need to make sure that this is really Jesus. And Jesus says, he doesn't ever say, yes, I'm the Messiah. He says, look at the miracles happening. The deaf can hear, the blind can see. Look at all this happening. Uh, you need to just go tell John that, and he can decide for himself whether I'm really the Christ. And so that's the opening of chapter 11. And like I said, if it wasn't Jesus, you'd say it's all downhill from there. Jesus then turns to the crowd around, and he says, by the way, everybody around here, how come you had an issue with John? He just starts off on the multitude and says, what's your deal with John? He came and he lived in the desert and he was a, a recluse and he didn't do anything. He stayed away from people. Uh, he, you, people had to go out to him. He wasn't looking for the limelight. He wasn't doing any of that. And you said he was of the devil. He said, now I've come and I like being around everybody. There's crowds everywhere. I go eat and drink with people and you call me a wine bibber. What's your deal? Do you want us to be a recluse or do you want us to be around people? Because you didn't like him and the same things that you said you didn't like him for, I'm doing the opposite of and you don't like me. It's almost like Jesus had just had enough. And so he's got this going on. And then it, while the crowd's still all there, they don't leave, just the crowd's still all there, he begins to issue a proclamation and speak against different cities. He's, he begins talking to the cities that he's been performing miracles in. It's like he's, he's, he's dealt with the John issue. Now he's asking people, what was your deal with John? And what's your deal with me? Now he starts talking to the cities that, that he's performed miracles in. And he starts saying, what's the deal with you cities? I've done miracles. I've done all these things. And he begins to, to name off uh, uh, heathen cities that people knew of and that they were, did not serve God. And he said, if, if I would have done these miracles in those places, they would have repented already. But here you are. He says, in fact, he goes on to say that it will be better for Sodom, the place that God destroyed with uh, fire and brimstone. He says it's going to be better for Sodom on the day of judgment than these Jewish cities like Capernaum and such. Now, that's a pretty bold statement right there. I mean, Sodom was the epitome of if you want to call something evil, you liken it to Sodom because that's as bad as it can get. And he says it's going to be worse for Capernaum and these other places than it is for Sodom on the day of judgment. And so Jesus is just kind of going off. It's almost like, uh, you know, um, random fed up with it day. 
And he just starts going off on all these things. And then Jesus, so he's talked to John's disciples. He's told the crowd, what's your deal? He's told the cities. He's spoken to the air and said, what's the deal with all you cities? Then Jesus turns in the middle of the crowd and he just starts talking to God. He just speaks to the heavens. And this is where we pick up the end of Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So he's speaking here about, about that the people, because what, what is he's speaking to is John isn't sure of something, so there's doubt. The people aren't sure if they should follow John or Jesus, they've got issues. He speaks to the cities who won't turn to him. And he says, there has to be a revelation that takes place. And I'm thankful, first of all, that, that I have the revelation. Then he begins to speak about how we can receive the revelation. He says, the son has to be revealed to somebody. You can't come to God by yourself. He has to reveal himself to you. And then he says, and these are the verses that I'm sure you may have heard at some point in your life. Verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Really, at the end of this chapter, it seems like Jesus, well, obviously he knows what to do. He begins to pray, really. And it's almost like he prays himself out of the troubling thoughts that he was having or frustration that he was having with this is what I'm doing with my ministry. This is what I, I came to seek and to save the lost. And you guys aren't repenting. You don't believe. You don't do anything. And then he stops and prays in the middle of this. And he prays himself back into, if you want to call it a ministry mindset. There's doubt all around him. From John the Baptist all the way to the, to the people standing around him. There's unrepentant souls around him that have every reason to repent. And yet they still don't. There's ungratefulness all around him. People that have received miracles and still just want more. But he allows himself to be pulled back to why he was there in the first place. He was there to seek and to save the lost. He was there to ease burdens and give strength to the weary. I'm thankful for that this morning. Verse 27 he, he speaks, all things are delivered unto me and my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Lord will reveal him. Now this is not just referring to the people who came to hear him teach, because we know not all who heard followed or received revelation. So this is speaking all the way to you and I today, because it's not just those people who are physically present. Because again, we know that just because you hear God doesn't mean that you follow God and definitely does not mean that you receive revelation from God. And it's at this point that we must say that it is not enough to come. You must have revelation happen or the, for the encounter to take effect. That's why we say coming to church is not enough. Coming to church is good. But if I don't come to church and connect with God, if I don't come to church and receive a revelation from God then I'm kind of missing the point a little bit. And I understand that He is the only one who can bring revelation. We've been talking about it in our Wednesday night split session that, that I can read the Bible 
that I can write a book on the Bible, that I can know every fact about every part of the Bible, but that's not what the point of the Bible is. The point of the Bible is for me to receive revelation in my life right now for my circumstance, and it's a living book so it can do that. But I cannot do that unless the Spirit brings that revelation to me. I can't work myself into a revelation. I cannot achieve revelation on my own. We have to realize that being around Jesus is not enough. But I have to engage and connect with Him to receive revelation. Otherwise, I won't ever get that. And you know, that's, that's real easy for us to do, actually. You ever, I won't ask you for doing it right now because we know we're all good right now, right? We're all in a good place right now. But if you look back over your life, can you maybe honestly say that there was times when you were around Jesus, but it had been a while since you'd received any revelation? Wasn't that church was bad. Wasn't that you weren't coming. Wasn't that you were out just committing awful sins. But you, you look back and you know, I was coming and I was around Jesus, but there was no revelation. When that starts happening, that should be a sign to me that I need to reconnect with God. Now, that doesn't mean that I get hit with a lightning bolt every single week. That doesn't mean that... that it, but a revelation can just be right now in my situation. And you've been in those services where it wasn't... It could have been something you'd heard before. You knew that verse and all of a sudden someone said it and it hit you like a ton of bricks and you thought, wow, I needed that. That's revelation. That's what I'm talking about. So it's not enough just to be around. It's, it's important for me to engage when I come to church. I'm not just simply following orders of what somebody says to do. I'm not just uh, worshiping because that's what everyone else is doing. No, I'm doing it to engage with the creator of the universe, the one who can actually make a difference in my life. That's why I've got to engage with God when I come to church. So Jesus then offers those present and all the way to us today... He offers an exchange. He offers something to you and I. He speaks to those who are weary. <laughs> Remember, he's just been going off on them. <laughs> Why won't you repent? Why won't you believe? Why won't you whatever? Then he prays. And I'm not saying Jesus was wrong in what he said, because sometimes we need that. What are you doing? Get it together. But then he says, you know what? I'm going to offer an exchange to you. To all those who are weary, <laughs> he called them unbelievers in just a few verses before. All those who are burdened, that's all the doubters. Those who are struggling under the weight of your cares, he offers an exchange. And there, we, you know as well as I do that there are moments in life that we feel this way. When we feel weary, burdened, struggling under the weight of situations, whatever they may be. And if you've ever felt this way, and if you do feel this way currently, then these words are for you. Now, this burden that Jesus mentions that we carry, it can be a number of things. Firstly, it speaks to those who are laboring under the weight of sin. Let me tell you, you need to exchange that weight of sin in your life. Sin is a burden that will crush you. It will crush you. You can carry the weight of sin for a while, but it is not there just for you to bear, but it is actively seeking to crush you and destroy you in your life. Sin will take a toll on you. I don't know if you realize that or not, but sin will take a toll on you. It will take a toll on you mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You ever seen those before and after pictures? 
You ever seen pictures, I mean, because sometimes we don't even put the physical component into it. You ever seen those before and after pictures? You may see them on commercials for, you know, telling you not to do drugs and things. People that uh, were, were, you know, looked normal, whatever that may mean. And then after six months on meth, what they looked like. Don't tell me sin can't take a physical toll on you. <laughs> In fact, we don't, we don't really like this part because it gets a little confusing. But Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, there's some that are sick and have died because you took the Lord's Supper unworthily. That means there was sin in their life, they weren't acknowledging it and saying, no, I'm good. And people died because of sin. Now, we don't like to think about that. We like to say the sickness is of the devil because then that means we're good. Because the devil's against us, he's attacking us, and if the devil's attacking us, i got to be good. Right? But sin begins to take a toll on us emotionally, spiritually, physically. And Jesus speaks to you today. He offers an exchange to you for the weight of sin that you carry. We know that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's an exchange. There is no layaway plan. There is no payment plan. There isn't anything else. It's a straight swap. If you are willing to exchange the, the, the weight of sin in your life, Jesus will give you eternal life. He will give you freedom in your life. But this also refers to those who are laboring under, it could be a number of any things. It could be guilt or shame. It could be struggling to find peace and contentment in your life. It can be burdened with expectations. It can be burdened with unfulfilled hopes, dreams, and ambitions. People that are burdened with fears. People struggling with desires. These, and the list can go on and on of things that can burden and weigh you down. Never mind the whole host of circumstances that life can throw our way. And it is to all of these and more that Jesus calls to come. It is to these he calls to unload their cares and burdens that this world and life loads upon us. Jesus offers us something. He offers us rest. <laughs> How many of you just like a nap? <laughs> it, it's adult Sunday school, so maybe I can reference this commercial that I've seen. It's the husband and wife, and they make it to a hotel room, and you see them, they turn the blinds down and, and turn the lights off, and it's a husband and wife without any kids, and your mind goes one way, and then it shows them just to sleep on the bed. All they wanted was a nap. The kids are gone. How many of you just want some rest? But then when you lay down to rest, you can't go to sleep. <laughs> Jesus offers rest and something lighter. He offers a solution to the weariness. He offers a solution to the stress, to the discomfort, the anxiety, the pain in your life. And the solution is simple in, in theory. It's come and give whatever the problem is to Him. That sounds real easy. How many of you know that in your own life it's not been that easy? The solution is just come and exchange what you have. Come and give Him your burden. Come and give Him your load. And He will give you rest. He will give you strength. And He will give you what you need. But I do want us to look at something in this, this passage though. Because I want us to understand something. I think we need to uh, grasp something. Because Jesus offers us freedom. Yet I think we need to redefine what freedom means in our life. Because the, many times what I think of as freedom is not the freedom that Jesus Christ has to offer me. And so disillusionment sets in. 
Because Jesus says, give me your burden and I will give you freedom. And it comes in the form and fashion of a yoke. Now just think about that for a minute. That's a little confusing. How do you know what a yoke is and not something that grows into KFC? <laughs> right? We're going to look at the yoke this morning. The freedom that Jesus is offering, when I begin to think about it, is a little confusing. You give me your burdens, and I think freedom means I've got nothing now. I'm free. He says, give me your burden, and I'll give you a yoke. See, because when I think of freedom, freedom I think just doing whatever I want. But that's not what Jesus is offering. <laughs> and I can only find strength and rest through what he's offering. It really seems confusing at first. It seems like really trading one burden for another. And technically it is. Because he says, I'll give you a light burden. You're trading a burden for a burden. That doesn't seem like freedom. You see, when we think of freedom, we often have a wrong view. We think freedom is the ability to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. I mean, don't you remember right before you got your driver's license and you thought that would bring all the freedom you would ever need because you can go wherever you want, do whatever you want, whenever you want, if you've got gas, if you have money for gas. <laughs> There's some caveats with it there as well. If you have a car. Just because you have a license doesn't mean you get a car. But that doesn't work out because we know, if you've lived life for any number of years, you know that we will be under the control of something. Whether it's other people, whether it's our own desires. And before long, whatever has control of us, it, it doesn't matter if we think we're free or not, something has control. We are doing things we never thought we would. We are saying things we never thought we would. And, and, and we're going beyond what we ever imagined that we would be doing. So is that really freedom? Because something still has control over us. I don't know that that freedom that we have in mind to be absolutely liberated where there's nothing or nobody that can tell me what to do, that's just a false reality that does not exist. Freedom always has parameters, or if we want to call it responsibility attached with it. So when I come to God who gives liberty, that does not mean that I can leave and do whatever I want. And this passage backs it up. Jesus states, come to me with your burden and I'll exchange it for a yoke. Exchange your burden for this stick that goes across your back. This is a hindrance to some people. Because there's a couple things we're going to talk about that this yoke symbolizes. The first thing that this yoke symbolizes is submission. And this is within particular difficulty within our own culture, I believe. The word submission. We have a day in the year that we celebrate. It's on July 4th. What's it called? Independence Day. Now, I, I'm not going against any of these things, just so you know. I'm just telling you our culture. We have a document that we like to live by. There's one called the Constitution, and there's another one called the Declaration of... Seems to me like independence is pretty important to us. If you would, that's what our nation was founded upon, was upon independence. And I'm not saying that's wrong. We celebrate the fact that we overthrew those who ruled over us. We celebrate that we did not submit to taxation and authoritarian laws. We celebrate that. that. And this is not, again, 
uh, going against anything that's taken place. But I think that if we do not recognize that we have a culture of independence that still very much exists today, then we can't ever understand the concept of submission. We like the idea of a maverick. We like the idea, I mean, when someone's called a maverick, I think in, in political terms, uh, John McCain was often called a maverick. And we hold that up as someone who's different, someone who goes their own way. And, and they could be wrong, but we support the idea of going your own way. We, we like that idea. What, what's, what's the image that, that, that we all, the image of the lone cowboy? That's, that's a man. That's how millions of people became addicted to cigarettes was because of one cowboy by himself, the marble man. Because we like that idea of by myself. I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I'll tame the land by myself. And anyone come... We like that independence. We celebrate that. We celebrate the ones who live to break the rules that are outside the box, that are... That's what we go for. But the yoke represents submission. It represents surrender. That goes right against the face of what a lot of our culture stands for. Now, with everything, there's positive and negative. Okay, so I realize that I've pointed out the negative side of independence. I've pointed out the negative side of that. There's a positive and a negative to everything. But the negative side of this culture of independence is that we struggle with submission and surrender because nobody's going to tell us what to do. And if they try to, what do we do? What do we say? Let's just nuke them. <laughs> that doesn't work when it comes to God. You see, a lot of the stuff that we have to overcome is not Satan or any of that stuff. It's just me. Some of it's culture. Some of it's how I've been raised. But it is not within my vocabulary. Now, maybe this won't get podcast. If we're talking about surrender, then the French should make good... No, sorry. <laughs> we'll erase that. But surrender? America doesn't surrender. But I have to. You see how there's a little bit of a, a rub there? Because it's not in my nature. It's not how I've been raised. When I'm in school, no one says, you know what, at some point you're just going to have to give up. No, in America you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, work hard, achieve your goals. Surrender and submission are never mentioned. Let me say this, the yoke is not light and easy if you are not submitted. Because here's my problem with this verse, is that when I begin to think about uh, offer, taking my burden to the Lord, and then I have a yoke that's put upon me, if we're going to be real honest about it sometimes, I, I would venture to say there's been moments in your life when you thought the yoke that God has put upon you is neither light nor easy. And it's in those moments when you ask the question, why me, God? Why do you ask why me? Because suddenly it's heavy. Why am I going through this? You don't ask that if it's easy. If it's easy, you don't ask. Why am I in this circumstance? Why do things just keep happening to me? And all of a sudden, it feels like the burden that God has placed on you is almost as heavy as the one you exchanged. That's why people say, you know what? I tried it and it's not working out. Sometimes, though, I need to understand about this yoke that some of the issues come is because I'm not fully submitted. 
the yoke will never be easy and never be light if I'm not submitted. Now, I found a very interesting document online. It was called Tiller's Tech Guide, Advanced Training Techniques for Oxen, written by Drew Conroy. Man, that was a fascinating read. 35 pages on how to train your oxen team. If you are having trouble sleeping, I will send you the link. Wow, that's some dry stuff right there. We'll just mention a little bit this week, but in following weeks, we may pull out the advanced training techniques for oxen later on. <laughs> 1995 edition. This is what it said. An animal that has been dependent on its own skill and instinct, or that of the herd, may take considerable effort and time to accept the teamster, that's the person driving the oxen, as the leader. An animal that has at some time in its life proven to itself its strength, skill, or speed, or ability to outmaneuver predators or people is going to be harder to control. Don't underestimate cattle's strength or experience, especially mature animals. This is adult class. That's you and I. Bovines, hopefully that's not you and I, <laughs> that have come to rely on their own skills or instincts are going to challenge even the most competent teamster. You know, God has given us all talents and abilities and strength and skills. The problem becomes is when we use those and we think we've done it by ourselves. because then the teamster, the person that's driving the plow, can't have control. And when he tries to put the, oaks, uh, the ox in the, in the yoke, you know, I all mixed up, the oxen in the yoke, there's issues. And things that are supposed to happen can't happen. And God can't have control over the oxen who won't be put under the yoke, who won't be willing to submit. Just because you've done something before and been successful doesn't mean you don't need God now. In fact, it was only because of God that you were able to do it. But you and I know that the older we get, sometimes the more successes we get behind us, it can become even harder to submit to the will of God. James 4, 6, and 7 says, But he giveth more grace. I'm thankful for that. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you want to experience God's grace, and if you don't realize it, you're going to need it. So if you want to experience God's grace, you cannot get it through pride or your own way. You can't work hard enough. You can't be independent enough. You can't succeed enough to get God's grace. The only way to get God's grace is to submit to God. That's the only way. To achieve his, his grace, I have to be submitted. If I do not submit, not only is there an internal struggle, but also God begins to resist you. Now think about that for a moment. Think about things that just aren't working out in your life. Now this doesn't cover everything, but this is just pause to say, I need to take a look. I wonder sometimes if the resistance I'm meeting is not the devil isn't my flesh, but it's God. And let me tell you, if God's resisting you, you're probably not going to make much headway in that circumstance or situation. Sometimes it's good for me to stop and say, Lord, have I submitted myself to you? Because if I don't submit, then it says, then the opposite of, of not submitting is pride. And God's not going to take my pride and just honor it. Understand also that there's a little formula here. In verse 7, submit yourself, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Sometimes I'm wondering why the devil won't leave and it's because I haven't ever submitted to God. It's pretty hard to resist the devil when I'm not submitted. It's a little formula. If I want the devil out of my life, I need to be submitted to God first. And so I need to check my submission and make sure I don't have pride there saying, I can do it, I can make it. And I know I've talked about pride plenty of times before, but pride begins to crop up in some very uh, easy ways. I don't realize it. Because you know what? We all have pride. I mean, if you didn't, you wouldn't have got dressed up like you did and bathed, hopefully in the last week, and (laughs) tied your shoes and maybe fixed your hair a little. Hopefully he never listens either. I had a roommate in college that his hairdo was hat hair. And I'm not kidding. He wore a hat all the time, and when it was time to be somewhere where he couldn't have a hat, he took his hat off, but that was his hairdo. When he went to church, he wore his hat to church and took it off, and that was his hairdo. So I don't know. He didn't have much. I guess he had pride in his hair because he was consistent about it, but sounds a little strange. Resist that thing. No. So the opposite of submission is pride. We all have a little pride and it begins to creep up. Pride creeps up in weird ways, in odd areas. And we don't think of it as pride. You know what we think of it as? I don't need God for that. It's a little bit of that independence. Ah, here's a real easy way. Ah, I'm not going to go up and get prayed for for that. I, I can deal with it. I'll just go home and take some medicine. Okay, are you going to hell if you take medicine? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying pride can creep up in some odd areas. Because all of a sudden I've taken something that God could have control of and I've taken the control back. That's all that we're talking about. So it begins to creep up in just little small ways. And before long it's just a little thing and then I start taking a little bit more control, a little bit more control... When they've had, when the bovines, if you don't know what that means, it means the cows. When the bovines have had previous success, it's really hard to break them. I take ibuprofen for a headache. I take Singular, okay? So you know what happens? When I have a headache, I go take ibuprofen. Because I know the last time it took it away. Now, again, I'm going to very simple analogies just so we can understand. And I'm not up here teaching against medicine, okay? (laughs) But you know what I don't do the next time because the medicine took care of it that time before? I don't even pray about it because I know the, the past success. It's hard to break when you've had past success. That's what it said. And before long, the teamster can't control. It just begins to build and build and build. And so pride, that's just one small area. Pride begins to show itself up in all kinds of ways where we say, I don't really need God. I can take care of that by myself. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God wants most of your decisions, that He wants most of your life, and He's all right with you taking control of some stuff. No, it's a partnership every single time. So that doesn't mean that it's just God and I get to sit back and let God do whatever. No, it's a partnership. But that means God should be in every part of what I'm doing. And any time I take a part back, that's me saying I'm not going to submit that part. Verse 3, in the previous verses of James chapter 4, James 4, 3 through 5, it says, you, Now just, just listen to this and think about your own life. 
You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Well, hopefully not this next part. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? You ask and you don't receive. Your desires are guiding you. Your relationship with the world is not right and you know it. So the spirit of God within you, when that takes place, strives to gain control of you. It wars, it lusteth to envy is what it says the Spirit of God does. Now that's a weird phrase to use with the Holy Ghost. That the Spirit lusteth to envy. Really we sum up that phrase because you're probably not going to use that uh, tomorrow when you're at work. The Spirit lusteth to envy. If you do, people probably look at you weird. But we sum up that phrase in one word. We call it conviction. That's what that is. When you hear something preached or a word spoke or something happens and you're like... You know, it's going on inside of you. May I should go to the altar? No, I'm not going to the altar. That struggle, that's conviction. And that is the Spirit of God lusting after something. It's saying there's something that's not submitted to me and I want it. In plain terms. When you know what you're supposed to do, you feel God urging you to do it, but your desires, whether it's for independence or something else, are rebelling against it. That is the Spirit lusting. It's saying the Spirit says I want all of you. And let me just say, until you've given it all to him, you're going to have conviction. You should have conviction. That's the Spirit of God saying, hey, there's another area. I know it looks goofy and it seems silly to you, but I want that area in your life. I wonder how many of my problems would go away if I simply submitted to God and what he was asking. I wonder if God would quit resisting me. I wonder if my own desires... You see, because when I say, Lord, I'm going to trade my burdens and I'm going to take my yoke upon myself, then I have to have submission within my life. And if I am not submitting, then I'm going to struggle under that yoke. And suddenly that yoke is not light or easy, and I begin to question whether this is right or not. And I'm not talking just about I'm going to quit church, because there's people who come to church and they've quit God. Anyway, we'll leave that there. We'll mention that some other week. So we have the responsibility that comes from freedom. We trade our burden, we receive a yoke. A yoke is an implement of submission. The second thing, and I'm hurrying up, a yoke is an implement of work. Jesus invites you to exchange your burden, whatever you're carrying, to give you rest and strength and work. (laughs) Now, when I think of freedom, I think of winning the lottery and never working again, right? You don't have to work. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you freedom and you get to work. Now, you don't see oxen in the stall just lounging around with a yoke. The only time a yoke is put on, I think I'm right, maybe someone can correct me, is when there's work to be done. And Jesus says, I want to make sure you know that you are getting an implement of work when you exchange your burden. You don't get to sit by. Suddenly you are employed by me. And I need to comprehend that fact. That he has called me for a reason and a purpose. And that is to enter his workforce. I exchange my burden. But I don't just get to sit back now. No, I get to enter into the workforce of the kingdom. In some ways the yoke seems heavier because of this. Because when, before I exchange... 
I've got my own burdens and stresses, but then when I exchange, suddenly uh, Romans 12 comes into play and I hear phrases like living sacrifice. What? Freedom? Living sacrifice? Crucify my flesh. Pick up my cross. Reach a lost and dying world. Wrestle against principalities and powers. Wow. Doesn't seem to equate. And suddenly I have a field to work in. The harvest. You see, God has called me when I exchange my burden of sin or whatever else it is, my, my, suddenly I'm put into his employ. Luke ten twelve. therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The laborers that enter the harvest have a yoke. Colossians 1, 28, 29, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul says, this is what I used to be. I exchanged it and now I labor. Now I strive. Now I work. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. And we could go off on the grace of God, but, I'm, but this next verse I'm going to read goes along with this, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, I'm thankful and challenged. I'm thankful that it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then I think, wow, the grace of God, and this is all that I am? Maybe there's a little work I need to do. Because <laughs> I think grace could take me further than what I am right now. And his grace which was bestowed unto me was not in vain. Here's that phrase, grace in vain again. Okay, so he's talking about grace being in vain. And then in both these verses, in, in verse, he mentions labor. But I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So let me just explain what it says is that when I exchange my burden, suddenly I have God's grace. It gives me what I don't deserve. God puts this yoke upon me. It puts me in the workforce of the kingdom of God. But it's his grace that pushes me to work. So it's not me working. It's his grace that's working. We cannot lose sight of what this yoke means. It's His grace that pushes me to work. When I think of all that the job entails, when I think of the weight of the job that God has entrusted with you and I, with the church, it can be daunting, but it's His grace that gives me the strength to keep going. It's His grace that should be enough to light the passion inside of me. It should be grace that stirs me. And this is the difference between His yoke, His burden, and what I had before is that now it's not me trying to make myself passionate. It's not me trying to have the strength. No, I have His grace to do that within me. So it's not my strength that's doing it, but His strength. It's not my desire doing it, but His grace that's doing it. It's not me that's waking up and saying, oh, another day. No, His grace and mercy are new every morning. So He gives me that. But I have to understand that when I take that yoke upon me, that I have to be submitted and that I now have an implement of work. And I'm going to finish up just this last point. The last thing that I want us to look at is I think it's important for us to understand that maybe we've looked at these verses a little bit wrong. We've been talking about the yoke. We've been talking about what it is. We're going to look at some different parts over the next two weeks, continuing. But the focus that we've looked at, and the focus that we can take from these verses, is the yoke. It's the yoke. 
It's where we place the emphasis. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily where it needs to rest. Because I am exchanging a burden for a lighter burden. I'm exchanging my weariness for a yoke. I am taking something upon, and that can seem like it just doesn't correlate. But I don't think that's where our focus needs to be. You see, because the burden is usually a solitary endeavor. It's usually something that you bear on your own. No one else can bear the weight of your sin. That's why only you can repent for what you've done in your life. You can't call on someone else to repent for you because it's your burden. You know about your situation and while people can empathize and sympathize with your situation and they can say that they're praying for you and all of that stuff is important and necessary, it is still you that has to carry it. It's still you that has the sickness. It's still you that has the family issue. It's still you that it's on your mind every moment while the person who's praying, it may be on their mind but not every moment of the day. It's a solitary endeavor, your burden. It's your load It's your weariness. Again, while I can empathize with you, your situation will probably not make me tired. (laughs) He calls us, though, to his yoke, his burden. And see, I think the emphasis that we can lose in this is that it's yoke and burden, and we lose the fact that it's his. It's his. You see, because a yoke, by definition of what it is and how it's created, a yoke is a partnership. You see, my burden is solitary, but the yoke offers me a partnership. You don't have an ox, an ox, just it's a team of oxen. That's why the person who drives it is called a teamster, because he's driving a team of oxen. And a yoke has two parts. I am in partnership. You are connected to another bovine, which we're going to talk about later. But now you also have a teamster or a master whose you are. You see, while you had control by yourself, now because you are linked together with this piece of wood which is connected with a plow, now you don't have control by yourself. You give control to the person behind the plow. So what that means is whereas I'm by myself, I'm the bovine wandering around, I have to figure out where I'm going to go next, I have to figure out what I'm going to do, I have to figure out how I'm going to do it, but suddenly when I take his yoke upon me, he has control, and he can guide where I go, he can lead me where I need to go, and suddenly that's where I begin to find my rest. How many of you know that in the middle of circumstances, sometimes it's not even the circumstance, but all the decisions that go with it? It's the mental aspect. And many times when we say, I'm going to give the burden, that's really, we give the situation, but we keep control of the mental aspect. That's what God wants to take from us. He wants to say, no, I will guide you. I will show you where to go. And so instead of struggling under the weight of my burden alone, I have a burden, but the weight is now spread out. It really is spread out. You see, the focus shifts now. Because you've been in the situation where all you can think about is the situation, right? And I'm not putting... That's understandable. I've been in the middle of situations and when I wake up, it's the first thing I think about. And when I go to bed, it's the last thing I think of. Sometimes. 
But that's my focus. And throughout the day, it keeps creeping up. It keeps popping up. But suddenly, when I begin to see, you know what, that it's not I'm shifting a burden for a yoke. No, suddenly, my, my focus shifts from the burden all of a sudden to where it needs to be, and that's to the master. To the master. That's really why the burden becomes so heavy and worrisome many times. It takes all of my attention and focus and energy. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Now I want you to notice something. Probably you knew both of these verses. Maybe you did or didn't know that they went back to back. All scripture is given by inspiration. It's not random thoughts like me. Casting all your care upon him. So that I can say now my focus and attention is on you God. My cares are not taking my attention. They're not pulling it. No, suddenly the yoke is easy because you are taking control of these things. And then Peter says, you need to do that. And then he says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. How many of you knew those verses were back to back? You may have known those verses, but you may not have known they were back to back. And I don't think it's a mistake. Because in my life, when I look at the moments when it's been closest to me being devoured, I can guarantee where my focus was. It was on my cares. You see, it's not when everything's going great. It's not when it's all good, the bills are paid, the family's all happy, job's going great, just got a promotion that suddenly the enemy is... That, that's, and, and things are going great in church and I'm coming to prayer meeting, I'm coming to church, I'm, I'm, I'm volunteering for stuff, that the enemy comes in and says, now that's a person that is, man, they are at... That's prime target. He knows there's some work that he's going to have to do and he'll do it. Doesn't mean you get to relax because it's all going good. But it's the person whose focus has shifted from the master back to the burden. And when all I see are my cares and my burden, the adversary, the devil knows I can get that person. Because they know their eyes are not upon Jesus. They know that their eyes have shifted to the burdens that are upon them and are no longer on the master. He is looking for those who are lost in their situation, who have a burden that is heavy, that are not casting their care upon him because these are the ones that are unaware. Why? Because all your attention's on the burden. All your attention is upon the care. But when I turn it over to Him, when I exchange with Him, suddenly I'm not alone anymore. Suddenly I have someone else to help bear the burden. And because of that, I'm not focused so much on my situation anymore. Yes, I know it's still there. Yes, I know there's still things I'm going to have to work through. Yes, there's sickness and heartache and those things that I still have to endure. But I suddenly realize that my focus doesn't have to be on those. But I have Jesus. I have someone who can bear those burdens with me. Let me tell you, the best way that you can defeat the enemy in your circumstance right now is to turn it over to God. You're having family problems, turn it over to God. You're having financial problems, turn it over to God. You're struggling with something, sickness, whatever it may be, you need to turn it over to God. Because suddenly, you will receive a rest and a strength that you never knew existed before. Because your focus is now placed where it should be. Yes, I must be submitted to God, which goes against my natural man. Yes, I have to enter into the workforce of the kingdom. And sometimes I think, well, that just sounds like more work. No, because I'm turning the rest of it over to God. 
And so all the stuff that I was concerned about before, I place in God's hands and leave there. And suddenly I find a strength that I never knew was possible in my life. I want us to stand this morning. God has a few other things that he wants to challenge us with about the yoke, but we need to understand what we are a part of when we say, Lord, I'm willing to exchange. First of all, there has to be submission. We have to understand that there's work involved. But then also I need to realize that my eyes can now be removed from the situation and turned to Jesus because he can give me the strength that I need in my life. I want us to pray this morning. If you're in the middle of a situation, if you're struggling, I want you to pray, Lord, help me to turn this over to you. I realize in the, in the two minutes that we're going to pray right now, <laughs> that's going to be a tough prayer for it to all be accomplished. But I, the start can take place right now. I want us to pray, Lord Jesus, we come before.